0: A lot of time we find that even after being Christians, this verse has a lot to say to us. There might be a lot of areas in my life I haven't said no to yet. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me With that, let's turn to the book of Numbers. Somebody asked me, are we going to continue in Moses? The answer is no. At least I'm not going to continue in Moses. If someone will continue in Moses, that's fine. But we will actually move on to perhaps not the most likely person you expected. Turn to Numbers chapter 22. This person and Moses coexisted. In fact, this person belonged to the same nation that Moses' wife and father-in-law belonged to. This person was also a prophet in that he declared the word of God. And the scriptures refer to him as a prophet. We don't like thinking of him as a prophet because he's not a very good example of a prophet, but he is a prophet. His name is Balaam, They're all together now, Balaam, (laughs) not Balaam. I might potentially revert back to Balaam just because I've heard people use that word more than I heard people use the word Balaam, but they checked with me this morning to make sure his pronunciation at least was right. So, we are at chapter 22, Numbers, I'll start in verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak the son of Tzipor saw all that Israel has done to the Amorites and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were so many and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the, to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up all that is around us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are setting Settling next to me, therefore please come at once, curse these people for me, for they are too many for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the word of words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me, saying, Look, a people has come to Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent more, uh, sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. All right, so we've all been hearing about the children of Israel coming toward the land of promise. Well, finally they arrived, arrived, they've almost uh, arrived. I don't have a map here for you, but in the back of the Bible you might have a little map of the traveling of the children of Israel. They at some point go through Moab, and then they attack the kingdoms north of Moab, a couple of Amorite kingdoms. They defeat them, and then they sit and wait. What do they wait for? They're waiting for God to basically give them the signal, all right, go, take that land. They're actually ma- waiting for a couple of other things to happen in the meantime. But they're just sitting there and waiting on his north border. Well, Moab, that nation, and the king of Moab are terrified. They they saw all these people go through their tori- territory. They saw them attack the northern kingdoms and defeat them. And now they're just sitting next to them. And and it says this in in the first few verses. It says Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Later on he, he says they're like an ox that's going to lick all the grass around them. They're going to kill everybody. Help me. So, so, Balak, so Balak is in this situation and he doesn't feel he has the ability of defeating them so he's asking for help. And that's when he turns to Balaam. Now Balaam was this prophet that I mentioned before. Now what kind of a prophet was Balaam? What we know of him from these verses is that he would curse or bless certain nations or people and then happened, what he said would happen would happen to them. And we know that God spoke to him because he speaks to God here and he's not surprised about it. So he's used to communications from God. The best as I can tell, Balaam's ministry would be similar to some of the Old Testament prophets that would testify to the nations around Israel. He's not testifying to the people of God, but he's testifying to the other nations around the people of God, mostly, I would guess, of God's judgment. If you look at those minor prophets, prophets that told the nations around Israel what's going to happen, usually it's bad news because these nations are in their sins, they have rebelled against God. And God is waiting, but at some point, God stops waiting and He judges that nation. He destroys that nation. And God is righteous. He doesn't want these people to perish without a warning. And so He raises up a, a prophet like Balaam that's witnessing to these countries and warns them about their sins, warns them of the judgments of God, and then, then God faithfully judges these nations as He told Balaam He is going to judge them, as a warning to people for their sins. That probably was His main ministry. Now, there may have been blessings associated with repentance. For example, when Jonah went to Nineveh and he warned them about their sins, they turned from their sins and they were saved. They weren't destroyed. So there might have been blessings associated with repentance, too, from Balaam. So now, you're Balaam. Okay, you're sitting in your house, and you receive a delegation of important people. And these important people tell you, Balak, son of Zippor, the king of, of Moab, has sent us. And he's asking for help. Come, curse this nation that has come next to us and is causing all these troubles so we can shoot them away. We can fight them and get rid of them so they won't attack us and kill us. And that's, that's you. That's Balang. You've just received that request. And by the way, here's a diviner fee. A little bit of money. And you figure if you really render a service to a king that really desperately wants you, there's probably a pretty nicely word associated with it. What do you do? You're Balaam. You probably don't know that these are the people of God yet. There's no particular reason to suppose that Balaam knows that. What do you do? You, you've been this prophet that God used to declare the judgment of God against the sins of nations. And now somebody is coming to you and asking, please come, help me out against these people by cursing them, pronounce judgment against them. What do you do? All right. Let's see what Balaam does. So Balaam in verse 8 says this. It says, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. Sounds pretty good, huh? All right, so I'm not sure what to do. I'm going to ask God what I should do. What does God answer him in the next verse? Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these people here with you? When, when I first read through a passage like this, it's easy to overlook little words like that. God knew who these people were. Why was God asking Balaam that question? This is the first warning that Balaam receives here that his heart is in the wrong place. What God is saying here, you have no business with these people. Why, why should you even listen to them? Why should you consider go curse somebody that I didn't tell you to curse? If I didn't pronounce that these people are sinners and they're going to be judged, you have no business cursing them. That's to start with. Second of all, when I pronounce judgment against people, it's for their own good. He wants people to turn from their sin. It's a warning to people. We're in sin, like the people of Nineveh. You can turn and be saved. That's the only reason God was sending him to curse nations, to pronounce judgment against nations. And here, he's going to now go and pronounce a judgment against the nation so that they'll become weaker so another nation can defeat them. These are ulterior motives. This has nothing to do with the righteousness of God. And the only reason that Balaam is interested in this is because there's something for him in it. Okay, I'll read the verse. Just so you don't say, well, that's what you say. Well, that's what the Bible says. I'll just read Jude 1.11. This is an accusation against false false teachers in the New Testament, or actually apostates in New Testament time. It says this about them, For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Quran. Well, that's it. There was an error of Balaam for profit. Balaam wasn't here, wasn't considering this job because this is what God wanted him to do. He was thinking of what profit there may be in it for him. There was, if you would, a hidden agenda in this job. It wasn't about what God wanted it to him. There was also something that he was going to get out of it. Remember what I said at first, but what it means to be a Christian. Just say no. Well, say no to self. You have to say no to yourself. You have certain desires. Well, the first thing you have to do when you're serving God is you're going to have to say no to yourself. Let's see where this leads Balaam. Okay, Well, so we're going back to Balaam. So you've you've had this delegation come. You've asked God. God has just told you the following. In verse 12, God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. All right, what do you say to this delegation that came to you from Balak? Listen to what Balaam says. Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. What's different? Well, he's not telling him that these people are blessed. Now, let's consider that this is a critically important piece of information for Balak. He has these people, he doesn't like them, they're on his north border, he's contemplating attacking them. And he says, I need some help, I can't do it alone. I'll ask for Balaam to come and curse them before I do it. Well, Balaam say now says, well, sorry, I can't go with you. The Lord won't let me go. So Balak figures, all right, I'll just have to do this one on my own. He will be committing suicide because God said, this, not only am I not going to curse these people, these are blessed people. These are people that have my power. I'm helping them. We'll see later in the prophecies that Balaam speaks about Israel, how clear God makes it, look, these people are, are, are moving with the power of God. God is helping them defeat all these nations. For Balak and Moab to attack them will be suicide. This is a critical piece of information. Yet Balak omits it. When he he talks to Balaam or to the delegation, he just says, well, sorry, I can't go with you. God won't let me go with you. But he doesn't say, because these people are blessed. I can't curse them because these people are blessed. A critical piece of information for Balak to know. Why does Balaam omit it? Why doesn't he tell him that these people are blessed and attacking them will be suicide? Well, it's this hidden agenda again. Balaam is really more interested in himself. And there could be two things. It could be that he was actually thinking, well, there might be still a window of opportunity here. Let's not close it completely. Okay, and we see there was because Balak just replies and says, hey, come on, what's going on? I'll give you more. There could have been also maybe some self-preservation. Well, you know, I don't want to look like a bad guy to Balak. You know, who knows if I say, "Sorry, God is with these people," he might come after me too. So either way, there was a hidden motive or uh, what they call a secret agenda. He wasn't thinking of the welfare of the person who came to him for help. And we think that's a terrible thing if we go to a doctor. And uh, complain that you know I have you know my, my chest is hurting, and the doctor will next say, well, you know I've, I have to do this test on you. all. well, I think you need to have a, a heart surgery and replace a few valves in there because your heart is failing. And at the end of the day, you find out there was absolutely nothing wrong with my heart. The doctor was just trying to make money. We would be horrified. We would sue the doctor. There'll be all kinds of people upset about what happened. And by the way, these things happen. In case you haven't heard of it, there was a a big case of it in Northern California a few years ago. A whole medical institution, uh, mainly a few doctors in that institution that just ran hundreds of papers, gave them unnecessary procedures, heart surgeries because there was money to be made out of the process. And we would be horrified. How, How could you do something like that? We come to you to help, and you just take advantage of us for your own well, so, well, that's essentially what Balaam was doing here. Balak was coming to help. Balaam is taking advantage, like, well, I really want the money, but I'm not, I'm not in it for you. I'm not here to help you, Balak, because Balak needed help, and Balaam was not helping him. Now, this is the first problem. If we, as, as Christians or servants of God, have our own agenda, haven't said no to self, we're going to be doing exactly the same thing. People say that this is a dog-eat-dog world. What they mean by that, or maybe that's not exactly the right expression. I, I always make an excuse for getting expressions wrong because I'm a foreigner. <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, if if I go to uh, a, a place to buy a car, there's the car salesman, and the car salesman, will make more profit if he can get me to buy a certain car for a certain price, instead of me paying the, perhaps the very best value that I can get for a car. And people expect that's a normal thing to do. Uh, uh, or at least you know we're not as outraged about that as when a doctor treats us in a way like that. If I, uh, I'm trying to buy a house, I want to get to the place first. I want to buy that house for the great price first before somebody else does. It's, it's competition where I think first about myself and second about others. And that's the way this world is. But that's not the way we are supposed to be in this world. Listen to what Jesus said. He said this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20:28. 20, the son of man did not come to be served. He didn't think about what he can get out of people, but to serve, he was thinking of what he can give other people to the point of giving his life as a ransom for men. And we're all here because he was willing to do that. Believe it or not, God wants to do the same with your life. You can't atone for other people's sin, But God wants you to put other people first, think of what they need and not what you need. How can I do that? Well. God takes care of me. I don't have to worry about me, because God is taking care of me. Balaam didn't have to worry about what Balak would give him. God would take care of him. He didn't have to worry about Balak coming back to him and trying to kill him for this. God would take care of him. He should be thinking, if, if I don't have my own agenda, I just say no to myself, I see a person's need, I can help that person. If I have my own agenda, there's something that I want, something that I want to get out, It's going to be a barrier for me helping that person. The two things will always be in conflict. I have to put my things away. Let God take care of me. And I need to help you with what you have. And you need to do the same thing. You need to not think of yourself first, but of others. This is what it means to say no to self. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Let's continue in Balaam's story. Picking up in verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside, out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside for me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I have not known. I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. All right. So now we have a donkey speaking. This is a true incident, and it is exceptional. You, you will not find another... Uh, animal speaking in the Bible. And God said he had a special reason for doing it. If we turn t- Don't turn there, I'll just read it. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. God is having a donkey speak here to rebuke Balaam. Okay, first of all, why does he need to rebuke Balaam? Why does he need to kill Balaam? Didn't he just tell to Balaam to go? Well, now Balaam is going and God wants to kill him. Well, it's because God sees something that you and I can't see. You and I just see people doing certain things, and you might see me doing certain things, and it might even seem like the right thing to do but God can see our heart. And there was something very wrong going inside of the heart of Balaam at this time. And it went something like this. God wants to bless the nation of Israel. Balak wants me to curse the nation of Israel. I've been serving God for a long time, and I haven't become very rich. Balak is offering me a lot of money right here forget what God wants me to do. I'll do what Balak wants me to do. Um, I can't quite read Balaam's mind. It's it's been a few years since he was thinking this thought. But it was something on this order of magnitude. We we see a couple of hints for it. First of all, God talks to to Balaam in verse 32, and he says this, I have come to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Uh, It's also been translated as as reckless. Your way is reckless before me. You're, what you're doing is crazy. And actually it says that in the commentary about it in Second Peter. It says, God used the donkey to speak to restrain the madness of the prophet. He was being crazy, what he was thinking. Of. And, and the other reason I know this is what Balaam was thinking of saying something else is God's is he says, you're right God, I was sinning. I'll, I'll go back. And God says no go. Go forward but say only what I'm telling you to say. Why does God have to repeat it? Well, it's because that's what Balaam, he was thinking of saying something else than what what God wanted him to say. All All right, madness. Madness. It's madness for us to think that by disobeying God or not following the revealed will of God, we can gain any advantage by it. Now, I'm saying it's madness. Most of the people out there don't think that it's madness. Okay, This is God's commentary about it. Most people think they can go on living their lives without a thought about God or even deliberately disobeying what God has said and that they can gain something out of it. So people believe it. God says it's madness. Think about this. God created this world. God created you and me. He gives us every heartbeat. He gives us every breath. He holds the atoms that make our bodies together. And we think we can disobey God and get something out of it. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't allow you to reap, perhaps, certain rewards for your actions. But at the end, you're going to be the loser. Whenever you disobey God and you don't do what God wants you to do, you come out on the bottom. There's nothing There's nothing better, there's nothing that will gain you more than doing exactly what God wants you to do in this world and in the world to come. So that's why this is madness. And it comes back to, just say no. Because you have this hidden agenda, and I have this hidden agenda, or so we have these desires, like Balaam does, for the money, or whatever Balak was offering him, or any other temptations we have, that go contrary to what God has told us we need to do. And we are attracted to them, we want them. And it doesn't just apply to money, it could apply to a spouse, it could apply to buying a house, I've been uh, in some way hunting for a house for five years, and periodically I take breaks of a couple of years in between. But I have to realize if it's not God's will for me, this is not the best thing for me. I have to be ready to step back. Even even if there's nothing wrong about something, if it's not God's will for me, this is not the best thing for me. The best thing for me is what God has for me. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll pick up with Balaam in verse 36. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, and let, let me uh, suggest this as we go through this passage, it's a long passage that I'm reading, we're going to start getting into the prophecies of Balaam. And, uh, they're wonderful. I want you to look for two things if you can. Number one, listen to what God says about the nation of Israel. He says some very special things. Here. And considering the background, that so far mostly all Balak Balaam had to say to nations, You're sinning against God, God is going to destroy you unless you repent. Okay? Balak, Balaam is going to be saying some very different things here about the nation of Israel from what he probably ever said before about anybody else. Okay, number one. Number two, look out at how Balaam is executing this ministry. Number one, what does he say? Really, what God is saying here. Number two, how's Balak handling? How, how is Balaam handling it? How does he, what kind of a job is he doing? Is he doing a good job? Is he doing a bad job? And don't, don't judge me in my reading style. You know, I might not read it as powerfully as he could have said it, or I might be doing a better job than he would have said it. But there's other things that show what was going on in Balaam's mind, or how Balaam was doing, going about doing this, declaring the word of God to Balak and to the princess of Moab and the princess of Midian and really to all the people that were going to hear about it because this was a famous guy. He was known a wide circle of nations in that area. Okay, let me take a drink first. Picking up verse 36 of chapter 22. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, He went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kriyat Chuzot. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just what Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. And God took Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Come, curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Tzofim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet with the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering. And the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? So he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Tzipor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. It must now be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drink the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you saying all that the Lord speaks, that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of the peril that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased The Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and sees the vision of the Almighty who falls down with eyes opened wide. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars besides the water. He shall pour water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who will rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, to either good or bad of, of my own will, but what the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what these people will do to your people in the later days. We'll stop there. This is, was quite a mouthful. Let me say this again. What Balaam says here about Israel, he never said about any nation. Certainly, he talks about them being blessed in the sense that God is with them, and they're moving with the power of God, and to resist them or attack them is folly in the uttermost. But he also says some very interesting things, like God has not observed any iniquity in Israel or sin. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his end. It must now be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. What has God done? Remember, this is a world that God has made. And the nations, up to that time, there's different, uh, trying to think of the word uh, that is used, different uh, dispensations, so to speak, or different ways in which God worked with mankind. And at the beginning, there was the Garden of Eden. And after they fell there, there was a, a period that started with Adam and Eve and ended with Noah. And God, at the beginning of that period, He declared some good news to Adam and Eve. He, he took the animal and, the, and took the skins from the animals and put it on Adam and Eve and showed them that there was a way of approaching Him, there was a way of sacrifice of being made right with God. And now there was a new period in which God was bringing the nation of Israel, a nation. A new thing that God was making, there would be a nation on the earth where the name of God was going to dwell, where you could come to know God, where God has made a way for you to become right with God. And that's what he's declaring here. He's saying there's something new, there's a new nation, they're not among the rest of the world. These are people whom my name is going to be associated. There's a way to be right with God that God has made. That's what it means when it says what God has done. He doesn't see iniquity in Israel. It was Andy Goodwin that first that drew my attention to this. Look, God says he can't see iniquity in these people. But look, if you go two chapters back, look to see what they're doing. And go a chapter forward and look what they're doing. How can God say that he doesn't see iniquity in these people? How can a holy God have a relationship with these people? Oh, what God has done. And there was just a type given to them. this We know this is not the ultimate way, but God did give them the tabernacle with the holy articles where God was going to dwell. He did give them a priesthood they could come through. He did give them a, an offering, a way of a sacrifice. They could bring the sacrifice and kill the sacrifice and atone for their sins. There was a way that God made for a sinful man to be right with the holy God. This was exciting news. This was something new. This was something momentous. In history that was happening here, that Balaam was declaring to the nations. Alright, so this was an amazing message he was sharing. Well, how is he doing it? Is he, is he being an effective minister of God in bringing the word of God? Well, there's, there's, there's at least two major problems I see here. For one, there's a reference to it in the first verse of chapter 24. It says, Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to seek to use sorcery, but set his face toward the wilderness. What is this reference to sorcery? Balaam was still trying to change God's mind. He was still trying to get God. So now he has to say what God told him to do, right? because he saw the sword at the hand of the angel. But maybe I can still change God's mind about blessing Israel. He thought he could. He was using sorcery. He was probably, in some way, intimating to Balak that he might be able to get God to look favorably upon him, which might be also why Balak is making all these offerings to God and why Balak is surprised every time. Again, Balaam could have showed up and said, "You know what, Balak? You know, I'm really sorry, but God actually told me He was going to bless His people, and I have to bless His people. I can't do." It. He could have started the whole meeting saying that. He hasn't. I'm going to have to say what God tells me to say. Balak probably says, Well, amen to that, as long as he says the right thing. Okay, so he's not being forthright with Balak about the whole thing. He's still, you know, shaky about what God is saying here, which devalues from what God says. If what God says one minute can change from one minute to the next, it has no value. And that's what Balak was suggesting. That's what Balaam was suggesting to Balak and the other nations in the way he was doing things. He was trying to change the mind of God. Second of all, And, you know, I have to sympathize with him because I know I tend to do the same thing. He is defensive about what God is saying. Again and again, Balak is is telling him, you know, what are you doing? He said, hey, you know, I gotta say what God tells me to say. You know, don't kill the messenger here. I mean, what does that do to the message? Is that supporting what God is? God is declaring here a new thing He's doing. uh, You know, something that should be shaking the world. The news should travel from coast to coast. Everybody should hear. There is a people of God. There is a way to know God. There is a way to be right with God, and he's like defensive. Oh, you know, don't don't blame me for what I'm saying here. I mean, that just effectively pulls the rag from under the message. And the reason I I try not to be hard on him because I know I tend to be like that and a lot of times when I uh, share the gospel with people. Well, you know, I hate to tell you this, but you know, the Bible says that you know what you're doing here might be wrong and. You know, please don't hate me because I'm telling you this. But the Bible is a glorious message of the way that God has made for us to know him. And when I'm being you know so concerned, and again, this all comes back to having false motives. Putting myself in there. Not saying no to self, but having my own will, my own agenda, my own self-preservation, my own maybe hope for a reward that maybe Balaam still has here. There's something I'm trying to gain from my relationship with a person and I'm, I don't want to hurt that. And if I tell the person the bad news, he might be angry with me and forget that I lost his friendship. You know, he's not going to invite me to his house anymore to eat his excellent food and, you know, all the other things that I might get from that relationship. As long as I have my own selfish motives, I'm not going to be able to serve God effectively. That's, that's the third consequence we see here in Balaam. When I have my own agenda, when I have the own thing, my own thing that I want to accomplish, I'm, I'm not going to be doing what I should be doing. The first thing is he was hurting his others. He was not telling Balak the bad news he needed to hear. The second thing, he was hurting himself. He was not doing what was really good for himself. The third thing we see here is hurting God because God had a message to be preached and Balak was being ineffective about it. Balaam was ineffective about it because he was more concerned for himself than he was concerned for God, what God had to say here. All right. The last last consequence we'll pick up in verse 25. Last consequence of Balaam's having his own agenda. Chapter 25, verse 1. Then Israel remained in Acacia grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. I'll let you chew on that one for a while. <clears throat> All right, what does that have to do with Balaam? All right, well, we see a strange in change in strategy here. If you remember, Balak's original plan was to attack Israel and drive them away from his coast. Well, now he's sending his women over there. And we'll talk about it more next week, so we don't have to get too much into it this time. And thus seducing the men of Israel to come and worship the gods of Moab, And obviously, God is pretty upset about the whole thing. What does that have to do with Balab? Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give in the secret. If we were to turn, there's actually a couple of other places you can find it in the scriptures. But uh, I'll just read it. But if you would have turned to Revelation 2.14, you would see this. (coughs) Revelation 2.14. But I have a few things against you because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. What this verse says is that Balaam taught Balak that this is the strategy he must follow. You want to defeat the children of Israel. I'll tell you how to do it. Send your women, tempt their men, bring them to worship your gods. That will weaken Israel. That will give you a chance against Israel. Well, it's true. It worked. Balaam was pretty smart. But what is he doing? What is a prophet of God doing advising the enemies of God on how they can successfully attack God's people? Not to talk about leading them into this horrible sin. What's a prophet of God doing something like that for? Let me answer with the words of Jesus. In Matthew 6.24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Balaam was trying to. He was trying really hard to serve both. I mean, the whole time, you can see his mind is divided. On one hand, I want the money. I want the reward. I want the honor, whatever I can get from this. And on the other side, there was, well, you know, I kind of want to do what God wants me to do. Or at least I don't want to get killed not doing what God tells me to do. Well, Jesus says you can't do that. You can't serve two masters. At one point or another, you'll you'll pick one, and you're going to despise the other. You'll pick the other, you'll despise the one, and that's what's happened here. Balaam, trying to serve two masters, eventually made his choice, and his choice was, I want the money, and I don't care about God anymore. This is this is what's really important to me, is what what Balak's offering me. You know, this, this palace full of silver and gold. That's I've realized that's what I really want. That's what I really want. And that's really the ultimate consequence of not doing what Jesus said. He said, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. If a person thinks, he can keep holding on to his own things and say, well, you know, I want to be a Christian. And I kind of like what Jesus said. And, you know, A lot of his commandments sound pretty good. And besides, you know, there's this nice-looking girl at church I go to and really would like to increase my chances with her. And yet at the same time, I want to live my own life. Those things I want to do. I'm not willing to give up on all my plans. You know, I have this job that I want and, you know, I want to have a nice house and I want to have a safe retirement. I have my agenda. Those things that I want eventually it's going to split. A person who refuses to really give up on his own things, in truth, has never really become a Christian, has never really submitted himself to God, eventually it'll, it'll manifest itself. And that's what happened in the case of Balaam. Eventually it came into the light. Balaam had to choose his side. And unfortunately he decided to go for you know, madness decided to go for the money, thinking that that was more valuable than being with God. Let me close with this. Praise God. Praise God that we don't have to live a life like that. Praise God we don't have to live the life of Balaam. <coughs> go ahead and turn back to Matthew 16, 24. Let me remind you of the type of life that we're talking about when we talk about the life of Balaam. First of all, it's a life of thinking of self before others, which means you're going to be hurting other people. But that's alright, because you'll get your own thing. It's a life of hurting yourself, because you think that by doing your own thing, instead of God's thing, you can get better. And you're not. You're not, you're not going to get Jesus said, what is, does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? A life of hurting yourself. A life of disappointing God. Because God has wonderful things for you to do. But as long as you seek your own thing, you can't serve God effectively. That's the life of Balaam. Back to Matthew 16:24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. We can't hold on to this life. I mean, that's, that's their whole madness. Whole madness of thinking I can do my own thing instead of serving God, instead of doing what God wants me to do. I will lose my life. I can't. I, I'm not. Li- I don't live by my own power. My life depends on God. I will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If I'm willing to lay down my own will, my own agenda for my life, my own life in that sense that this is the life that I've been living. Jesus says, I will find life. Jesus said this, I have come that they may have Life and that they may have it more abundantly. You have never lived until you lived for Jesus. That's what Jesus says in those words. He has come that we might have eternal life, which is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, to have the relationship with the God that created us. And it is the abundant life. Life, as the world presents it, is empty. It doesn't have joy. It doesn't have peace. It is a dog-it-dog kind of life. The life of Christ is the life where I don't seek my own things, but I get to enjoy everything that God has made for me, and everything that I have been created for. I wasn't created to serve myself. I was created to serve God. But that is the life. It's the life I've been created for. It's the true life. It's the life that We can enjoy peace and joy and all the things that the New Testament talks about the Christian life. It only comes when I deny myself, when I refuse to live my own life as I lived it before and instead turn my life to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? That will I do. Praise God that he sent Jesus to save us from our life and give us the true life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We realize that your son said this, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. I think of this, Lord, that you also died, that we might have life, and that we have, might have it more abundantly. Lord, help none of us lose this life that you've purchased at such a great cost because of a vain holding on to our own life, trying to do the things that we think will make us happy that will never make us happy. We know true happiness, true joy comes from doing exactly what you want us to do. Give us that power, Lord. We know you said you came that we might live it, and therefore it is possible for us to live it. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the new nature. You've, You've given us this relationship with yourself and the power of the resurrection of Christ. Help us Take advantage of it and live the wonderful life that you have for us. We do ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.